This is Marnie with Maxim and Marnie, a podcast I get to do where I interview people from the church I attend in Our Savior's Lutheran Church in Naperville, Illinois. So today, our guest is Anne Prayhall, who hey, I'm Anne. so honored. Welcome, welcome. She listens to us, which makes <laughs> us do. feel really good. Yeah. That's really awesome. So Anne, how long have you been a member of our church? I was thinking about that when I was coming in. It's definitely more than 12 years, but I think we kind of dabbled coming before that. Um, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and so I always knew, kind of a crazy story, I always knew that when my kids got to be junior high age that I would also be a member of a different church because one of my best friends um, same thing, grew up in a Catholic church, but her kids were part of Logos over at Good Shepherd. I've heard of that. Mm-hmm. And I just saw the fun and the joy that they had going. So I knew that when I had a family that I wanted that kind of youth program for my kids. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Naperville mostly since I was six. So a homegrown girl. Pretty was it much. somewhere exotic before that? New Jersey, Cranford, New Jersey. And is that where your family was from? Yes. I have 63 cousins in New Stop Jersey. Stop it right <laughs> Name now. them all. I, I she could said not. she's bad at names, so I need to name all 63. 63 cousins. <laughs> and are do. they predominantly remained in the East Coast or no? Um, we were the only ones that moved out originally, and we moved out in 70. Um And then after that, my mom had a brother that was 10 years younger than her. She was the baby for 10 years in her family. Of um, She had nine siblings. So he moved to California, followed by another brother later. So... though, But we were the only three that left New Jersey. Um, Would you say that you are aware of any New Jersey cultural influences on your life that you'd be like, oh, that is really a Jersey... Like, I'm... I, I'm thinking of some stereotypes in my head of people in Jersey, <laughs> and I feel like one of them is like kind of flashy. Maybe is that a stereotype, or or loud, gregarious? I um, think, or uh, any of those things. I think on my dad's side, maybe more. My dad's a hundred percent Italian. Okay, and so I think more than it being Jersey was an Italian family. Influence. His his dad immigrated immigrated over here okay um my mom's 100 percent irish oh that's her son so yeah so you know both very strong family both very catholic very big families yeah and so it, then uh, someone's job led you to naperville my dad's job and what did he do um he worked for western electric for 35 years or it was at&t or it was lucent whatever it was at the time but he actually started working for them when before he was even old enough to work he lived in a housing project in newark and it was just him and his mom and um and his mom was sick so he worked and he never went into the service because he, he was had the provider. to work, and he started by being an installer. Well, he really started loading cargo on their trains, and then he was an installer. And then they put him through college at Seton Hall University, and he stayed with them his entire working life. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yes. And you're, so your father was a single child, and he married a woman from nine. He had four. He, there was four of them. He had three sisters, he, but he was the only boy. Got it, got it, got it, got there it. There was a boy who <laughs> was the oldest, but he had passed away. He got sick. I think it was polio. My dad never met his brother. Okay. Um, and then there was three girls that were much older than him and then him. Okay. 
So that's yeah. why he didn't have to do because he was right. the one at home keeping her. He was her. taking care of his mother. Yeah. Yeah. How interesting. Um, and so then you are just a Naperville to the core. Pretty much. And yeah. you, which high school did you go to? Central, the cool school. The, oh, excuse me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just My saw Mama went Mia to there. North. Oh, okay. A real rival here. We're a mixed marriage, yes. <laughs> Naperville Central, Naperville North. And where did you go to college? Um, I first, right out of high school, went to Winona State University. Yes, in Minnesota. Minnesota. I did. Familiar, yeah. And um, my grandma lived with us from the time I was in fourth grade until I was 22. And she got sick, and I came home. Really didn't know what I was going to do anyway. I went for accounting, didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So I came home, and then um, she got really sick and passed away. And I got to kind of know respiratory therapy when she was sick at the hospital. So I went to school and became a licensed respiratory therapist. Worked at Good Sam for six years. Uh, so that's not a nurse? No. No. Heart and lungs. Yeah. So, and it's not called a nurse. It's not a doctor. No. It's a... Respiratory therapist. Therapist. It's yeah. just a very so specific... Like that little thing that they blow wind into and that makes Sometimes the it up. could be compressions. I work mostly trauma and um, bypass surgery. Okay. I worked a little bit with kids and peds with asthma, but it was mostly you're in a room and they're someone's chest is open. If they yes, if they're not breathing or their heart's not working, we're there. So you're not squeamish. I'm getting no. squeamish. Yeah, I don't go into detail because I'll get I'll no. pass out. My dad has a passing outing thing where he was at the Home Depot and this gentleman started telling him about his brain cancer and my dad smacked. On the Home Depot cement floor, passed out just because he gets so squeamish. They called the ambulance. And then that guy, of course, is staying there to make sure my dad's okay. So my dad can't say, I just passed out because this guy's story. (laughs) And I'm sort of like that. I've passed out with both of my girls almost. My youngest middle one was getting stitches. And she was like in the papoose. And I went down. And then my other one was getting an IV and it wouldn't go in. And I was like. So I have almost the opposite reaction. Like things that happen with my kids, and um, and I think it's from working in that environment because it's really it will sound crazy, but it's really a lot less scary in the trauma room when everybody around you is uh, has a job and you all have one focus and that's to save the life in front of you, um, and it's hard to get your brain around, but it's this calm. You all have like the camaraderie when you work in an emergency room. There's nothing like it because you, whether you like the person standing next to you or not, you have the same goals and you're working towards them together. So you said calm and I was thinking maybe it was like adrenaline, like kind of a rush. No. No. Afterwards, sometimes you would feel Uh the effects that you were really running off of adrenaline. But no, it's... It, it isn't like you would think it is. It's not like the shows on TV where people are yelling. and. Well, that's what that's, I base all of my medical yeah. knowledge on. Well, or like <laughs> in the situations I've been in when somebody is coded and we're, all the teams are arriving, um, family members that are there are sometimes offended because – you know, Anne might be having a conversation with somebody else while they're doing their tasks and they're they're just doing their jobs and they're doing it well. But like they 
in some ways, they're not distracting themselves, but they, they can just multitask and have conversations. And I remember having some talks with families who were like ticked at whatever they were talking about while they were resuscitating her husband. I'm like, well, you know, sometimes they do that just to be present, but not be present at that moment. And that's okay. Like, so what, what people go through, I, I could not do on a daily basis. I, that's why I applaud people in emergency rooms and hospital systems. Um, I miss it to some degree. I worked at Good Sam for six years. Um, I knew I couldn't do it forever, but there are certain things that I really miss. I I really miss the team aspect of Mm -hmm. it. They're really working together. Um, I don't miss losing a life in front of you that I couldn't get past it, especially kids. I couldn't, you know, the next day I would be thinking about what the family's going through and you you have to be able to separate. And I wasn't very good at the separation part. Mm -hmm. And um, I was training paramedics as they rotated through their rotations. Um, And one of them turned to me after a really, really tough week and said, you know, you should be a teacher. And I said, you know, you're right. And I went back and got my teaching certificate. I continued to work in it, but I there was an end in sight for me. So I just decided I just want to work with healthy kids that are full of joy and giggles. And and that led you to this career. So how long have you been a teacher? Um, I started teaching two years before we had our family. And then I stayed home for nine years. And then I went back part-time math intervention for first grade and then I've been in kindergarten for 10 years. Kindergarten for 10 years. Talk to me about the hope we have for the future of our kids and what you love about them because I feel like there's a lot of um, screen babies and blah 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 and it's all very negative and I just have to believe um, that I believe in the children um, because Whitney Houston told me they'll lead the way and I still believe that and I really really mean that and I even think that with high schoolers sometimes they'll say stuff and I I, I think there's many beautiful things about high schoolers that we have hope to live in and see in so what would you say um, about our sweet five-year-old kids? Well just to put your brain around it um, 80% of the kids in kindergarten right now will be employed in a job that does not exist yet. Yes, I've heard this. So if you just think about that, you know, and then a colleague had said to me, how do we teach them about a profession that doesn't exist yet? Wait, what name did you just say? Um, A colleague of mine. Oh, okay. Uh I thought she said a name too. Yeah. So... And I said, but we're, we can't teach them about a profession that doesn't exist or how to be successful in it, but we can teach them how to think, Yeah. right? And how to get information and how to learn. So that's sort of a bit of a shift. Obviously, technology is a huge shift, but you have to have faith in the kids. These are the people that are going to take care of us when we're older. These mm-hmm. little people in kindergarten will be my nurse someday and my doctor. Right. And, you know, and so you have to believe in them and have faith in them and that they will do great things. I think they'll probably go farther than the generations before them. Yeah. You know, technology has to be balanced. We live in a technological world. Yeah. They have to be able. And they're so natural with it. Mm. Where. I'm still like, wait, don't touch that on the smart board. Because if it crashes, I can't get it back. Sure. You know, but they have no fear with it. And so they go farther with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked for a while, like in the education system, that we were going to be 50-50. 50 
differentiated learning online, 50%, you know, with the teacher, but it seems that a, a lot of that has slowed down. Um, we integrate the iPads, so there's a, there's a structure, it's called SAMR, and so you have to think about, is this just replacing paper and pencil? Is this allowing them to create and be f go further with their ideas? And so just a structure for us to think about how you're using the iPads, especially in kindergarten, mm -hmm. you know, because they could completely zone out and right. do their apps. So we use it for literacy centers. We use it um, sometimes to demonstrate their learning. My kids just use Pic Collage, which is a really popular app. Yep. And they took pictures of different nonfiction text features and they made a poster and they labeled it, which was their assessment piece. I know what a table of contents is. I took a picture of it. I labeled it on my poster and then they printed out their posters. So they learned how to manipulate an app. They learned how to take pictures. They learned how to type on it. And they also demonstrated their knowledge on nonfiction text features and they're five. Yeah, that seems super advanced. So I'm thinking that might have happened for me in junior high. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and right. they can do it. They, they can, can do, do it. it. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. What is um, a couple's storybooks that you are like so intentional about reading each year that you go, these are the stories, these are the gems, these are the ones that I love? Um, classics. Mm -hmm. I do. We, we do a whole thing on different versions of Goldilocks. And um, all the way to Goldilocks and the Just just One Bear. I don't know if you've ever. No, I don't know. So that. it goes, the bear comes out of the woods and is, finds himself in the city. And he goes into a condo building and he goes into the condo. And he does all kind of same things that Goldilocks did. Sits in a chair, tries the bed. Um, but then the family comes home and they're really angry. And they go to yell at the bear and and uh, he says, wait a minute, Goldilocks? And she's like, little bear at the end, which would mean nothing to you unless you knew the real Goldilocks story. But it's Goldilocks grown up. He sure. happened to wander into her condo. Love. <laughs> and so, like, I love that whole circle of, you know, how is it the same? How is it different? And your background knowledge was about Goldilocks, and it wouldn't have made sense if you didn't have it. So... I love that. I love the most magnificent thing. Um, this girl gets really, really frustrated because she wants to build something and she can't make it look like what she wants. So that persistence piece and how to manage that frustration. I love that book. Mm -hmm. um, oh, gosh. I can't even tell you. Super Manny Stands Up is a little, um, he's like a little raccoon kind of character. But he has invisible capes and each one helps him be brave. And then he, there's a big kid in the lunchroom that tells another kid that they can't sit there. And so he pretends he has his invisible cape on and he says really quiet, stop it. And he, the big character turns around and says, what did you say? And he says, stop it. And then people support him. They're like, yeah, stop it. And the difference you can make with your voice. It doesn't matter your size. I love that story. Oh, awesome. I love that. I love stories with messages for kids. Me too. You know, I just love stories because you get so involved in it. And, and at their age, it's easier to see the meaning behind it or the author's message. We always talk about 
when it's somebody else that it's happening to. So I might well, give you I, one of my favorite books. I think it's reading. so powerful um, for adults. I think sometimes oh. we can argue or, or we can't um, experience someone else's uh, their life experience. And then when you see it in a movie or you read it in a story, how much more that can influence us as adults. And so I right. love that you're teaching kind of that empathy behavior in a five-year-old so that they'll continue to be able to feel how someone else might feel through a story. Right. When they, at that age, don't, that's not innate. That's not natural to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So really until second grade, you can't expect it, but you keep exposing and giving them language so that when they are able to see somebody else have empathy for them, not everybody comes from the same place. Right. I mean, my focus is not just always teaching the kids what, and the rigor is pretty high, but I want them to be good people. Yeah. That's what I want for all of them, because if you're a good person, you're going to be successful. You don't have to be the fastest reader or the you know, fastest at math. And I always tell them, faster's not smarter. And if I say faster's not, they will answer that phrase yeah. year after year. That's so cool. Because yeah. it's not about being fast. You know, that reflective piece is super important. I want you for every te- for every kid. That's, <laughs> a, that's You're a good teacher. I, I love it, like, when, when people are like, I didn't listen to your sermon today, but I loved your children's sermon. Uh, like, they'll say that to me after church. And um, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned was from a children's book that came out when I was at my last church in Aurora uh, called Archibald's Next Big Move. And so if you don't have it, I'll give it to I you. I don't have okay, it. Okay, I have normally a lot of copies and I don't know where they all went, but I at le- know where at least one is. Brief, Briefly, it's about like this, this bird, you know, that gets a piece of paper that says your next big thing is here. So he goes searching all over the world and universe and for the next big thing and then realizes that it's it's here. Moral of the story is like, it's kind of like the grass isn't always greener. Like you're not gonna be happy in that next place until you're happy right here. And it spoke to me. It's actually written by Tony Hale, who is Buster Bluth on um, uh, Arrested Development. And he's on Veep. Familiar with him. Um, mm-hmm. He's hilarious. But his whole story was, um, he wanted to be a famous comedian, wanted to be a famous comedian. And then finally, when he landed that role, he wasn't happy. He was still searching for something more. And so he wrote this story to say, you're not going to be happy somewhere else until you're happy here. And it spoke to me as an adult. It spoke to me. And and I'm like, I'm not going to be good at my next church or place until I'm like happy being a pastor again and started working on myself and it was it was a great turnaround and so every once in a while I'll like life is overwhelming or I feel like I'm searching again I'll read the book and it's pretty good so I love how like stories like that a children's story can just hit you to the core Oh, and when I get new books that I just really love, I read them out loud to my family. Yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah. And we're all adults, but you know, we never stop loving a good story. You have oh, some boys who simple, might enjoy. I was, I, yeah, I want to talk about the boys. A simple message sometimes can mm. be just so powerful, right? It doesn't have to right. be complex. And so many things are so easily said, but so hard to do. Mm. Hmm. You know, because you can talk about, yeah, and it makes you think, but sometimes the most simple things like be, just be happy here and you'll be happy in the future. Like yeah. it's so easy to say and understand, but sometimes it's hard to do. Right. 
Right. Um, talk to me about your family. You have two sons, one I know quite well. I do. Zach and Nick. Nick just turned 25, and Zach is 22. And what would you um, describe them as, if you could give us a brief description of both of your sons? Um, Nick, he's a hard worker. He is super kind-hearted. Um, very giving. If you asked him for anything he had and you really wanted it, he would give it to you. Um, he's always been a really sensitive kid, pretty intuitive with other people. Um, yeah, he's a good kid. They're both good kids. Zach is Zach. Zach's on my wall. <laughs> no, nope, never mind. I Zach's wouldn't be surprised. Um, I have lots of times hanging out with Zach. You know, Zach is super bright and creative uh-huh. and has his own ideas of what he wants to do and accomplish. And the thing that we actually have learned about Zach as parents is that when he puts his mind to it, if it's something he wants to do, there is nothing that will stop him. And so, again, super kind hearted. You know, he's a really He's a really good person. Both of the boys are really good people. And I think there's nothing you can be more proud of than that when Mm -hmm. your kids. They've never been in trouble by the grace of God because. Or have never gotten caught, Zach. Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) We always used to say Zach was the mouse along the floorboards. Man, if you didn't see him, you always wondered what he was up to. But honestly, the kid. He hasn't been in trouble, you know. He has, he has certain passions, and he's the cars, them. cars. The only law, cars, the cars, only cars, law cars. that Zach has probably broken because I was in his vehicle is I do know he took me down one of the streets of Naperville, probably going ninety-five miles an hour. He was it a RX seven? Yeah. Yeah, well, probably didn't go 95. <laughs> no, but, yeah. but it was it was uh-huh. at least oh, well over 60 he in a 25. Loves his cars. And I've, I've <laughs> I experienced life that night. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he does. Um, Do you know he, he makes a he, lot, like, not a lot of money, but like he makes YouTube videos and yes. has a career. So, can I tell you a cool cars. story about yes, him this please. last week? It's spring break and he informs us he's going to go to Dallas. Mm-hmm, and I saw that. We've just learned, like, if he's decided on it, he does all his own plans. And, and so anyway, he went to Dallas and he went to some place to see a Mazda car, of course. And he was looking at it in the parking lot. And the guy came out of the business and said, oh, my gosh, I never thought we would see you here. What? And he Zach said, him. what do you mean? And he said, uh, you're Zach, right? And then he gave him a tour of the place. He gave him a t-shirt. He asked <laughs> if he could take his picture with them and put it on their Facebook page. He was like, yeah, shooting cars, stop by, because that's the name of his channel. Yeah. But he's had so many things like that. He had a guy in Ohio that wanted him to come and review one of his cars. It was like a Lamborghini or something. It's like yeah. a big fancy. Yeah, but the guy was in a horrible accident and was really, for the rest of his life, will have big big challenges mm. and he said he got through his rehab by watching zach's videos oh that's so awesome so i think he doesn't even realize how much he impacts a certain population with just the fun car reviews that he right. does and and you know what it's his love and he found a way to make it work the same way yeah. nick did nick has been fascinated with 
police vehicles. I mean, before he could even really talk, he would hear a siren and he would freeze and say, PC Woo car. You know, like a police car, the sirens. And so what does he do? He sells emergency vehicle equipment. I mean, both of them are working within their passions in a really great way. So I I just have to plug Zach does have another passion. Him and I, we have a YouTube (laughs) video series called Soft Drink Disciples, where we try different soft drinks from around the world. Did you know this, Marty? Nope. It started when Zach and I traveled to Slovakia together four years ago. I tried Kofala. And had a poor review of Kofi because mm. it tastes horrible. Okay. And then uh, Zach and I have also traveled to Haiti together, and we did a review of their sodas. It's so good. <laughs> and, and so what's hilarious, uh, we, we've done other ones like from Jamaica, around the U.S., all these different places. We'll try different kinds of uh, root beers on one episode, blind taste tests. So soft drink disciples, you should look it up. But what's hilarious is the Haiti one has like a million views. That's so funny. And it's probably because of his car thing, but we have no clue why that one the specifically. Haiti video. But all of his Haiti videos have so many views, and then people will comment, and they'll like hate on us, too. It's, it's pretty funny. That's so, pretty great. Yeah. Um, and what would you oh. say as perspective of being a parent of kids who are at their quarter life, um, what would you say that you wish you knew? As a mom um, years ago, and, and what would you just say, like, oh, I'm glad that I did this, or something intentional that you did in a space as a parent to them, or? Um, the biggest thing I did intentionally was was stay home with them. Because for me, well, my mom was home, and I really wanted to be home with them. We really didn't have the means for me to stay home with them. But I knew that that was something. And I also knew that the other side of that was they probably wouldn't have the things the kids around here have. But my belief was one day they would understand that they were the most important things to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we hadn't purchased a house when we had them and so we didn't have those life is very different now it's next to impossible to stay home and I understand that and I give huge credit to people that are both working I think it's very difficult but I was just in a position where we figured it out and I stayed home and when they got to high school and they didn't have a car to drive and all of those other things that go with just having a single parent working my belief was always at least one day they would understand that that was the sacrifice that we made for those years. Um, so that was one thing we did very intentionally. And on the other side, I had nobody to, to blame if they went awry <laughs> but me because I was the one. Um, but I played with my kids and we did things every day and we made dinner, you know, and they helped with that. And I wasn't somebody that stayed home and watched them. I was very involved with them. And we had you know, neighbors that had to work. And those kids, there was one that's Nick's age. That's like my third son. I mean, he really was in our house all the time. And I was determined that he wouldn't go to daycare if I was there. Now, when I went back to work, that would have been different if he was young. But um, I picked him up from school. You know, it was just what we did. And we had a really neat neighborhood and great friends. And it just worked. And so I don't know that it would work at a different time. Like now I wouldn't be able to do that. So that was the intentional thing. I think um, 
you know, I was able to embrace a lot of the things that they like. I think the hardest thing about parenting, and I talk to parents of my students about it too, is that I call it the soccer line talk. You hear all the things that everybody's kids are doing and all the vacations and stuff, and then you've it starts to pull at you. And so we started sitting at goal lines rather than 50 yard lines <laughs> because that was our right. self-preservation, right? Yeah. We, we had made these choices and, um, and those were the choices we made. But even being a teacher and knowing you, it's really hard to not get caught up in some of that mm -hmm. and just to keep perspective. And um, a parent, it's a dad, I think, Brian, you know him, uh, Dr. Mishra. He said to me yesterday while we were having coffee that one of his friends is just starting his family and said, what's your best piece of advice? And he said, my first one was, there's a lot of singing. Like, I don't sing, but if they're not sleeping the second, third night in a row, I'm singing all Les Miserables <laughs> if they'll go to bed. Uh -huh. He's like, there's a lot of singing. But the <laughs> other thing he said, which I thought was so powerful, because it kind of puts things in a nutshell, is raise the child you have, not the child you want. Oh, yes. And it's wow. so true, right? Because they are these individual people. So I spend my career, we just got done with conferences, telling them, you know, when parents <laughs> will express struggles that they have with their kid, I'm like, but they need that to do whatever it is they're going to do in life. Like, you know, when a kid is just really active and stuff, they're going to be in a position of a job where it's going to require that energy. And they learn to focus it as they get older. But I think it's so true. Like, you have to embrace them the way they are. We need them the way they are. They were born the way they are for a reason. And instead of trying to change that, how can we embrace it and move them forward with in themselves? Can you give me a specific example of that? Allowing that space for them? Um, like I have a student that just can't sit. You know, they're five. They've got a lot of years to learn that. Um, but she falls off the chair a lot. And parents were worried about it. And I was talking to, I'm not worried about it. Um, do I re remind how to sit? Yes, I do, because I don't want anybody getting hurt. Um, but I was talking to my principal, who's a wonderful human being, um, about it. You have she, to say that, right? No. I'm, I, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> I actually really, I met your really principal. like her. I know her. Yeah. Um, and she said, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't say that to my daughter, and she's in high school. And she said, you know, she's in honors classes, and she's a, a great soccer player and all it's not a medication issue. It's just, you know, whatever that it is is going to require that energy. And I think it's hard because you hear a lot of the other stuff yeah. going on on the soccer line. It's not always on the soccer line, but I just kind of use that analogy. Like you hear everybody else's kid is doing that, and then you start to look too much. Um, another one was, a, you know, a medication issue. It's not a broken child. I take thyroid medicine it's a very very small part of my life and so um and just remembering it's just such a small piece of who they are and we're still trying to have them grow meet them where they are grow forward i but love that i think you're ready to preach like seriously like <laughs> it's good everybody well, needs to hear that yeah yeah it's it goes back to that it's so easy to say mm. and to understand, but to actually practice. 
And I always say by the second week of January, I lose mother of the year. I mean, I, I by far from perfect mm -hmm. from any of it. And we've made big mistakes and you just say it was a mistake. You know, they have to learn that. And I think modeling resiliency for kids, let them fail so that you can show them how you get past it. Right. And so hard um, to watch as a mom, but so important. Right. It's really, really hard to watch. But uh, important is right. If they don't practice resiliency when they're young, how are they going to have it when they're adults? When you said um, I lose Mother of the Year the second week of January, I was thinking somebody once said they told their kids, you know, I've never parented a 12 year old before. I actually I'm still learning how to parent you because mm -hmm. I knew you was 11, but now you're 12 and I'm, I'm just figuring it out still, too. And so to kind of let your child know that you're swimming in the ocean with them trying right. to get them to paddle with you well and i remember you know just one of my big stripping of the medal of mother over the year um nick was playing baseball and he caught a ball at second base and really hurt his hand i think that no he was batting and he caught the ball between the bat and the his hand between the bat okay. and the ball and like you could hear it really hurt his hand and was crying and upset, and they put some ice on it. And then he said he was okay, put him back in. He was at second base and caught a ball, and he just froze. And so he wound up coming out of the game. We iced it that night. The next morning, I was driving him to school, and he was still crying about it. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, I don't know what you want me to do. I think I want you to take me to the hospital. I said, fine, I'll take you to the hospital. That kid's hand was broken. Oh, and there went mother of the year because mm -hmm. it didn't look broken. Mm. You know, I know a little bit about stuff like that. And I just <laughs> yeah. thought, what do you want me to do? Right yes. now? He's like, I want you to take me to the hospital. I'm like, fine, we're going to go to the hospital and get it uh -huh. taken care. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. It was broken. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like there's been many families I know that have had a kid with a broken limb for a day or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I, I was shocked it by it, but I was like, oh, that was not a good mom move. But, yeah. you know, we make mistakes. We make mistakes. And I certainly didn't want him to walk around with a broken hand. Yes, of course <laughs> so. not. Um, so I've avoided uh, talking about your husband. So the father in this partnership. So where did you guys meet? Um, I was working at J.C. Lake downtown Naperville with his friend. And he came in and they were going to lunch and they invited me to go to lunch. Shazam. Oh. And so how yeah. old were you? Oh. Uh, 25 so out 26. of okay 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 26 maybe? so you guys were like working yeah it's a working lunch i yes. was working, working yeah a working date lunch yeah. yeah and how long did you guys date before you decided to get engaged or married he asked me to marry him oh my gosh he'll kill me because <laughs> it was soon it was like a year by dinner by dinner <laughs> yeah by dinner well you know yeah. pastor tom and Jeannie grevels were only together for six weeks yeah, I guess when you know, She always you know. said there's no formula for life. But we got married. Neither of us, I had just finished my teaching <clears throat> degree. So I was back in school for my teaching degree um, when I met him. And, and he didn't have, like, he was working for a plastics company, but it wasn't like his job. He was driving a delivery truck for them. And I had just graduated from college the week before we got married. And so we got married. Neither of us had a job. Sure. Why? 
you know, we just did it. I mean, <laughs> that was it. I didn't have a job till August. He wound up getting a job in July. We lived above Russell's Cleaners, downtown Naperville in an oh, apartment, fun. you know. And now that's like, not there. I know. So you lived above that old, yeah, that they just we knocked did. down. Yeah. Watching all the shenanigans downtown. Tomfoolery. Yeah. I love it. It was really fun. You it lived was on really love fun. and a string yep. and some ramen noodles. It, our rent was $400 a month. And because there was no separate utilities for that entire building, it included all of them. Oh, wow. So you could take an hour long hot shower <laughs> and just still pay 400 <laughs> Didn't matter. That's really fun. It was fun. It yes. Was very fun. And then you had two boys. And are they still living with you, the two boys? Nick just moved home. Okay. Um, he has been on his own for three years oh, in Middleton, Wisconsin. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and he just moved home. So and that's kind of nice. We love having yeah. that. Um, I know it was hard for him, but he is a sales rep. He covers five states. And uh, he was about to re-sign a lease, and we just thought, you know what? It's get yourself together. You know, you're never home. Right. You're not there. Save some money yeah. so that, you know, and hopefully buy something when he moves out that's great um he was paying a lot and his, and not being there yeah 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 and it gives him some freedom to think about next direction that he wants to go to so he's still working his job still running the five states and uh yeah um and now i happen to know that one of your sons is a little bit in love um and my best friend has three sons and I have three daughters and I think there is a different dynamic there and so my best friend would say that she prays that her boys fall in love with somebody from like a slightly dysfunctional family not so dysfunctional that they'll mess up their sons but just is enough enough that they'll still spend holidays with her <laughs> and so I was wondering you know she's from a nice family <laughs> I know and we love her yeah um I was for the first year or two, not standoffish, but I don't, I didn't get involved in it. Sure. Because she's younger than him. He was starting college, you know. Um, by the way, they just had their fourth anniversary. So Zach's whole college life, they've been together. Mm -hmm. um, we love her. She's got a fantastic head on her shoulder. She's a smart girl. They are a, like an old couple. They're really <laughs> good to each other. And I think the reason why they're so strong is there's no jealousy. You know, Zach's friends with a lot of people. Yeah. It would take somebody that was very patient with that. He he really lives for his friends. He always has. Um, and he has friends that are girls and friends that are boys. And mm -hmm. if somebody ever really didn't know Zach's heart, I think that that would be a huge problem in a relationship. I mean, she's she's a sophomore. She's got a lot of school ahead of her. and um, But they're good to each other. Mm -hmm. And they don't, you know, even when they were dating and they were both in Naperville, they spent Friday evenings together. Like, they watched the series Friends, you know. And, and it's, like, normal. So I've never really thought too much about that, like, oh, my gosh, you know. Like, when they date somebody and it's just not a good relationship the the uh, my third son the one that basically grew up in our house he had a relationship and the girl was nice but it just wasn't healthy and it really bothered me and you wait for them to come to yeah. terms and then he said well we're thinking you know we're going to move into the city and I just had one talk I said I'm only going to say it one time right 
don't make that move unless this is a permanent thing, you know, because that's going to be really, really difficult and not much different than divorcing other than paperwork. And so he didn't do it, and they're not together. Wow. Um, the fact that he took your voice. So I really, don't think it was because of that, but I think that, like, it's okay not to do that. But I yeah, always, but I, mean, I you didn't. you said it. I think yeah. sometimes it's like, do you say it or do you not say it? You didn't, you didn't keep nagging. Nope. But you I, just said. Right. Yeah, just that. Think about it. Yeah. Because, you know, and it's okay if it doesn't work out. It's okay if it does. But I didn't see him be who he was. He, you know, he, he had a schedule three months out to have a weekend to spend with him. And Nick was really missing him a lot. And um, it just never, she just never let him visit. And mm. that's, you can't sustain that way. And so I try to use it for all of them for a teaching opportunity. Right, right. Right? And so... And I will say my piece once with each of them and just this is what I think. And now you know, and I'm not going to nag you about it, but sometimes you can't not say anything either. I mean, it's so hard. I've never had to say anything to Zach about, you know, he yeah. and Bella dating. Um, and we certainly, you know, we like her. She comes in and out and it's very comfortable and mm -hmm. our dog misses her and you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's really lovely so can, um, I, can i share something about their house please um i pray that our home can be like the home that you and gary have where what i've experienced you know after zach graduated from high school uh the the high schoolers have this reunion that happens on thanksgiving eve and um, be before church, there is this huge gathering. I don't think it happened this year, did it? This year it did not. It, but we really up missed until it. then, I, I I got invited as this pastor outsider into one of the largest Thanksgiving gatherings ever, Friendsgiving, you know, where you know Ann and Gary just open up their house to these you know teens and young twenty-ish kids to just to have a meal together as a like family friends family and it's so cool and you know you got something good when like you know your boys are good boys the kids are all right when it's they they just trust you in your home it, yeah it's it's awesome so i obviously love my boys but i love their friends too right. and i've always felt like it's not a home until it's filled with kids voices I used to take pictures of all the shoes at the door. Favorite. You know what I mean? Because your house is full and to hear them laugh uh -huh. until one in the morning. They laugh. You could have no idea what they're laughing about. I know what and they're laughing about. It's help horrible. But laugh. <laughs> I mean, that was the one thing when Nick went to school. Like we missed that. But then when Zach's whole crew uh -huh. went to school we really all of a yeah. sudden the house was quiet so when they come back and they come in and they know they're always welcome i love their friends their core group of friends are out of mm. ignition i mean and yeah, choir i know i think that's so beautiful zach had a very tight group uh-huh he really did and he still you know to this day He's they still. are and that's kind of how i tell them life is you know they go and they go to college and you're doing your thing and stuff but you have to know that eventually, because I've been here long enough, they kind of gravitate back to this place. And then you get to s 
still be part of them and their kids' lives mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. And they know from playing, you know, the sports that they played that a lot of the kids in the neighborhood were kids of kids I hung out with. Oh, so and like second generation so, friends. Right. That's and it crazy. was instant connection <laughs> right. because they're like, oh, yeah, my mom grew up with your mom or my mom grew up with your dad or my dad. Um, there's a one of my really good friends in high school married a guy that Gary went to um, high school with. So that's super kind connected. of cool. And Zach's yes. good friends with their son. So that was super cool. And then um, Gary went to high school with Dave Mavis. Oh, I love Dave Mavis. And so they're our neighbors. And Molly is Nick's age. And Shannon is Zach's age. Oh, I love and that. And so they went all the way through school together. Yes. So, I mean, just those connections that make sometimes they raise the comfort level. I don't know why. Because it could be something crazy, right? Yeah. But... The fact that, oh, yeah, my mom knew you when a you were my age. It yeah. just is. Um, can I talk a little bit about your guys' experiences, uh, your service things here at this church? You you came here. Obviously, the boys, at least for me, I knew Zach really well, and he was super involved. And, yeah, he was a huge leader, that whole group um, of the class he was in at Ignition and Eagle's Wings. And I know he experienced so much. But what where have you served, or what has been something at our church uh, that my, – My big uh, – I did Care Moms, but I've been involved in PADS for Can you talk about years. Care Moms, just in case people aren't familiar? Care Moms, um, so they do care packages so many times a year to the kids that go away to college to keep that connection with their church, just to know that we're thinking and praying about them while they're gone, especially during finals, and um, just to keep that connection, because those are the years that I think they feel disconnected mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i love that yeah. and then in pads mm -hmm. and then pads serving the homeless friday nights from the friday after the fourth of july until the friday after labor day and what role do you um particularly serve in there <laughs> well co-leader with sarah jimitro um but i started just making beds and then i started serving food and then i started working in the kitchen and then I just never left. And yeah. it's it's funny, people that she has mentioned throughout this podcast, from her mom to your principal, like uh, people that are people that Ann gets to uh, pull in, oh, the, the dad too, people that she pulls in to help volunteer at PADS in just really incredible God stories of like just people who hear, oh my gosh, your church opens their door. That's so kind. This is happening in my neighborhood. And then they're willing to serve and help out others. It's pretty awesome. How so Anne, can I be um, vulnerable and real and say that that um, service opportunity always intimidates me and it scares me a little bit? Um, can you talk to that and maybe make people like me? Um, I do understand that feeling because um, we were just talking about this yesterday, actually. I came to PADS the very first time I didn't know anybody, and I was really, really afraid to come. But Gary had been out of work for 22 months, and I was a stay-at-home mom. And I heard about PADS in church, and I was wondering what happened. We have family, but I thought, what happens to people? And I wanted to see for my own sense, like, what would happen to us if this goes on long time mm -hmm. and so I came and I was just pretty quiet person 
making a bed and this lady started talking to me and she was making beds and to this day I don't know her name she was making beds but came to pads um, two years before that because they were out of work and she needed a place to stay and was checking it out and so we were talking and we both had the same experiences probably a generation apart um, but when I did that and the feeling I got and just the awareness that there's this many because we sleep a hundred um, this many people that need it so I started going back and I just found this passion for it I've done pads I did pads at other churches but the way we do it is yeah. just something that I would encourage anybody to experience I know that it's not for everybody I think there's some a volunteer opportunity within pads for everyone, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's necessarily what I do or what somebody else does. Um, one of my friends that volunteers likes to do the sandwiches for lunches and everything before the guests get there, but has a really hard time seeing the guests. So all the work is done before they come. Mm -hmm. There's some people that feel the connection. They want to be on the line, the food line, and they want to talk to the people coming through and hear their stories. Um, there's some people that want to make the good meal. And so our focus has always been they are our guests. While they're here, they're our friends and our guests. And I think it's that, it's that mindset that changes what our site is. We are setting up for our guests. Um, you know, we put flowers on the table and we make their beds with love and sometimes leave candy mm -hmm. on their pillow. We serve phenomenal food yep. um, we don't serve pasta because we know they get it most other days of the week and um, but we've worked really hard with businesses <laughs> and um, I think what people don't realize when they think about coming to serve is how you feel being able to serve a beautiful meal to somebody who's been surviving all day you know, there's little things you don't think about it, like a shower, you know, all of that stuff and to be able to provide it and try to restore just a little bit of dignity while they're with us for those yeah. hours is just really, really powerful, not just for them. They're tremendously grateful, um, but for, you know, it puts life in perspective and it keeps it a little more balanced. That's really beautiful. Um, you mentioned in there um, that your husband was out of work for 22 months. How did you guys get through that time and how did your marriage and how were you? The marriage actually was never an issue and I hesitate to say this because I don't need any struggles right now. <laughs> but it seems like, you know, we've struggled different points in our marriage yeah. like with stuff like that and we seem to get stronger during those times. So um, we don't need to get any stronger, so I don't need any struggles. Let me just <laughs> say that. But, um, but yeah, I think at the very beginning, Gary and I always had the same idea of marriage. It's a commitment. Like, you know, just because you sign a piece of paper, anybody can sign a piece of paper, but it's your word, and what does your word mean? So we've kind of gone. We had very supportive families when we are married and our families are close and could always help us. Um, I can't say that things are, have always been easy. They, they, we've been married for 26 years. That's impossible. But, you know, we dig our heels in and we keep going, mostly because we've looked at the boys' faces. Like, we've never had a problem getting along. Um, 
but you know life can be hard yeah and uh what would you say your favorite part about being married now is versus at different seasons um being married now i think that we enjoy each other a different way you know we're pretty confident that the kids are okay not that they can't ever run into trouble they will run into problems but i think that you know we we like do errands together instead of saying I'll stay home with the kids and you go. Yeah. Like it, there was many years where Gary worked very, very long hours. He left before the kids woke up and he came home before, you know, after they went mm-hmm. to bed. And I was very much a single mom to a lot of degree. Every waking moment he was with those boys, he was a fantastic dad. And I think that also allowed things to stay together too. Um, he has the least selfish person that I know. And so I think, you know, sometimes he erred on giving too much. But, um, you know, he always, even to this day, will do little things just to make my day easier for me. And it's like what? um, Like if he knows I have to do something after work, or if I am cleaning up after dinner, he'll just do it and not say anything because he'll just want me to have that time. You know, he does little Gary, things and they're not. Gary, Gary, But they're not like these big But things, they're huge. But they are huge. But to quantify mm-hmm. it, you know, we don't do birthdays big. Christmas, we don't buy each other gifts. We would rather focus on the kids. And sometimes if that plus you're not doing anything for each other could run your wells dry, right? And But he does little things like that. And I think that makes a really big So I difference. hear her love language is active service and not gifts. And True. But so that's good that he's then loving you that way. You can- yeah. You could see it too. I uh, last year we had a few meetings with some of the pads leadership because of some things that we were hoping to to tighten down here when we hosted, and so Gary just was present for you. He did. He allowed Anne to. She was, you know, a co leader. Anne was leading it and expressing herself, but Gary was present there, and it was kind of awesome to see like. How cool is that? He's got your back. You know, you he guys totally wor- has wor- my back at least when we're out and about. Well, right. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but, but even worshiping together, like I always see the two of them together. It's so cute. It's, what it's service do you guys worship at? We've been going over to whoa, whoa. celebration now. But oh, when I the kids seen, snuck a glance, dip in the kids are in high school. It was always main campus. 10 because, Yeah, because Eagles they were wings. singing. Right. And um, and I don't even know how, I guess. I don't know. With Brian, I I don't know how we sort of switched. It's not that we don't go over there. (laughs) But there's a weird thing about 10 o'clock versus 1030 in the structure of our day, like as a family. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is because you would think you would go to even earlier so you had more time. But then it seems to be a little hard to get out the door. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so that's interesting. Jackson's sometimes we see at... 10 o'clock and we enjoy them so much and um who allison jackson and so. allison and dan jackson yeah. cool you, uh, i need to introduce you to these Please. people for sure and actually we need to get you here's how we're going to get you to volunteer at pat's <sighs> is first marnie you're going to make beds it's before anybody shows up done uh, family it's very family friendly done. so a few years ago Families it was done do it by together. the volunteers now it's like 
kids, families do it together. That actually is perfect because we would so, need to leave. Because I would right. love to do it with my kids, but my kid but, is the one that if we're in the city and we see someone homeless, she'll start sobbing. But before you leave, not it's be able still, to compartmentalize. Still safe. That. You guys should make sandwiches with me or roll silverware because I'll do it with Anne's mom. <laughs> You've told me about her. I have or, or roped she's in the my kitchen. mom in yeah. now. Yeah, and she's uh, so I mean, like, and she loves Wesley. Wesley will come and serve, so you can handle this. I promise. Okay. Yeah. And okay. then if you ever want to do it, your kids are probably too young to serve with the guests there. Not Katie. Um, but yeah. How old's your oldest? I have a high school, a junior high, and so then a second grade. Katie so will school. come when the Eagles' wings will come. But, well, you know, just to experience, I always say you should do it once yep. because you should see what all this love you poured into mm-hmm. does. Yeah. And then you can decide, you know what, it's not for me or I think I want to be part of that, too. And so there's so many opportunities. We have overnight security where, uh, you know, that's a completely different kind of serving um, for them. And then the breakfast crew yep. to send them out with a hot meal and a lunch. I mean, and. And my There's thing so is, much to do. Marty, you worship here every weekend, right? Wait till you see it when it's converted into this beautiful space that someone can, someone who needs that help gets it. And you say, like, we, we fed them well. They have, they are comfortable. They've showered. They got clothes. There's a movie entertaining them. We're going to watch over you. So you sleep in because like homelessness, these, these people, if they're on the streets are literally sleeping with one eye, one eye open. And how many are on the street? Well, a lot of them have cars. So like they might sleep in their car. Yeah. And like, as far as like where they're spending nights, otherwise we don't always know, Mm -hmm. but the stories I've heard over the years because a lot of them are not unemployed they're underemployed correct and so i i got to know a man oh gosh it's probably eight or nine years ago now fairly well and he would come in every week take a bed closest to the wall plug his phone in he would read these thick marketing books and i got to know him a little bit and it turned out his story was he got a divorce he said he had no love for his ex-wife at all but he loved his children dearly, did not want them to leave the home that they were growing up in. He left his wife and the children in the home, but he did not make enough money to have a second home for himself. So he lived through pads, and then every other weekend when he had his kids, he stayed at Extended Stay, Mm -hmm. America. And it's just things like that that you don't realize the sacrifice that people make sometimes or how quickly it could be an illness. Mm-hmm. I know when I was teaching in a different building and um, I had a first grader that was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and they did not have health insurance. And, and the cost of that, they lost their house, they lost everything and wound up going from friend to friend's couch, eventually could, had nowhere else to go and w- were living in the car. And so... Um, you know, it could be an illness. I mean, how many times we take insulin and medication and put it in the refrigerator for people? I mean, it's you don't realize, you know, how quickly that can happen to somebody. And so it's not just what you think. You know, people think, oh, it's going to be a lot of mental illness or drugs or what. We yeah. That's not the majority of what we have. Okay. And what I love, because you don't want just like the, the sad the sad story. Like those are real situations. Mm-hmm. Um, there's hope. Like when we have people that are volunteering for us who used to be guests 
and they give back because they want to. And we had two more this year, uh which was just phenomenal. When you see them again, um, you're you're seeing this joy because they have so much pride. Like they they are working hard to never get back into that cycle ever again. But they want to give back, and they know they want to intentionally give hope to others. And so it's pretty inspiring. But they're Um, so grateful for what they got in this place, and so. The one new one couldn't wait to tell us the first week last year Uh that he made it out. He had been in the program for years, but he got an apartment. Yep. But he talked to us about the struggle of learning to live in an apartment, that he had to sleep in front of the door for nights and nights because just trying to get used to not being on the street. And it's just so powerful to hear their stories and of resilience because you have to be mm-hmm. to keep going and going and going. So people do make it out. Obviously, we wish everybody would make it out at a faster rate and that there weren't so many kids. Um, or what I loved is that the one you're talking about there, he kept on saying to me this last year, he's like, because you all talk to us like we were human. Like, so we humanize them mm-hmm. in the midst of them feeling like completely, you know, like not, not drowning, but like it, they're not always truly welcomed in a place when they come to, to stay there or they're or they're not treated as a guest. <laughs> there you go. Yes, absolutely. They're treated as and, I'm doing this for you. And to have them share that story, you're like, it was it was totally worth it to give somebody the pause in my day and give them like talk to them like I would talk to anybody else. Right. It's fun. And I, I love them. And, and um, I gladly serve next to you. And, and, and it's cool to see that pass along. It's really cool. And yeah. it's cool to see the high school kids come in and serve the week that they yeah. do. Um, I always knew volunteers, you know, um, I always tell the baked potato story. So there's sometimes it's a funny thing. <laughs> that they get really picky about which baked potato and they'll say no i don't want that one put it back in that and the tendency is to be like we're serving you food you should be grateful for it but i have the perspective of they don't have choice in almost anything in their life let them choose their baked potato (laughs) right because we don't just put food on their plate it's do you want it how much do you want we typically have more than enough food and they know that here and so they're it's not a rush to get what i can through the line i can go up until the food's gone and we always do plan plenty of food because they're hungry but it's that whole idea of just turning perspective a little bit that's beautiful like give them the choice of which potato because they don't have a choice in their situation and in their daily life and what what does it matter? And Marnie, I think you should be on vegetables duty when you come and serve, even though you don't want to come and serve next to me and be on vegetable duty because you get to harass the people. They're like, I don't want green beans. I'm like, you need green beans. Like <laughs> you're supposed to eat your green beans. You're supposed to eat your vegetables. I harass so many people that I get in trouble a lot. So, well, once in a while they'll say, oh, you're right. And they'll take their green beans. You know? But I think it's good. Yeah. Who are we to say that you don't yeah. get to have a choice just because you're in different circumstances? Yeah. Yeah. So That's they really can come beautiful. and if they get a little bossy about what they want, I'm tickled by that yeah, because they you. feel Pick comfortable you enough hundred percent, that they can have a choice. And you no, know, I don't like that baked potato. Okay. Which one do you want? Right. So yeah. there's a lot of little moments if you... 
kind of just observe them that are pretty cool that happen. And, you know, at the end of a season, I'm so exhausted. I'm like, I think it might be my last year. Yeah. And then it gets to be January. I'm like, when are we starting? <laughs> yeah. I even changed, I even oh, changed my day off I love during that. the summers just to make sure I'm here for it. Oh, um, I love that. That's really wonderful. You're well, thank right you thing. for serving in that capacity. I had no idea that you were a part of that. I hope you come. I, I, hope, mm. I hope I can and that becomes available to me. I hope so, too. Um yeah, and I've loved hearing about your perspective from your boys and, and your service here. So thanks for coming. Thank you. And yeah, thanks for having me. She thought we wouldn't hit an hour. We hit oh, it easy. You got it. Thanks, right. Thanks for listening, Bye. everybody. All right, bye-bye.